Well, today we're going to be talking about family, all right? Family. Um, you've all got one. <laughs> some might be closer than others. Some might be big. Some might be little. Some might be scattered across the world. Some might live right here in the neighborhood. We've all got them. Um, and God said that the families of the earth, all the families of the earth, would be blessed through the family of Abraham. When God made this promise that we've been looking at over these several weeks, um, when we, he made this promise, this covenant with Abraham that said, I am going to bless the world through you and through your family. And the way that he was going to do that is he was going to set aside Abraham and all of his descendants to have a special relationship with them particularly so that he, as God, could reveal his character and his nature to this people. So he chose this one family of earth to say, I'm going to really pour into you and impact you and transform you and change you and do radical things through you so that you will be an example to all the other families of earth. Now, that didn't mean that Abraham's family would be perfect or without struggle or without dysfunction. You would think if God says, I'm going to set aside this family that's going to be mine, it would be like the ideal family that we write all the books about and we always pay attention to and we always look to. Well, there's, there's books written about this family. But what we find out in this family, not just in the very first of, with Abraham and Sarah, but in their descendants as we trace this family lineage and we go through this family of origin, what we see is they're all screwed up. Just like the rest of our families. They've got all of their issues and their dysfunction and their struggles and their brokenness and their confusion. And they do some of the stupidest stuff, just like us. <laughs> and it happens over and over and over again. People are broken. People are broken. Which means that even the best relationships have brokenness built into them. Okay? Families are a collection of broken people. So as the family grows, so does the brokenness. As you add more people that are broken into this already broken situation, it just gets more broken. That's the way it works. All right? Now, I realize that when we talk about family, this is a very sensitive topic for a lot of people because it's so personal. It's your family, right? But here's what I found. A, a lot of people, um, I would say some, but I don't even think that's it. A lot of people, maybe even most, most people um, assume or they imagine that they were the only ones raised in a broken family. And they always think, yeah, you know, my family, we had our issues. You know, but my friend at school, their family, they really had it together. Or that, that family at church that we knew about, oh, they, they, had, they were doing what family is supposed to do. And they were the way it was. But my family, well, we had these kind of issues. Guess what, though? We've already established the fact that humans are humans and humans are broken. And so there's going to be brokenness in every set of relationships. And so every family, what I'm trying to tell you is, the truth is, everybody has family issues. Everybody has brokenness inside their families. Yeah, 
some things are more broken than others. <laughs> and some people's uh, brokenness gets a little more exposure than other people's brokenness. And some people's big sins, uh, the Bible says some sins come out in front of people as they go along in life. And other, peop- other people, you don't see it till the end. But we're all broken. We all share a sinful nature and a broken nature. And your family is not the exception to the rule, the only one that was broken and had issues. It's just not true. And that doesn't matter what, what neighborhood you were raised in, what city, what state, what culture, uh, what economic um, or educational background you, you come from. There is brokenness in your family. All right? And because, it's because there are people in your family. And I will say this too. Families, when we're talking about family relationships that we're going to see here today, families are more than just your blood relatives too. Um, a family is, is what you make of it. And so for, for some of you, as we look through this, you might say, oh, well, I'm not close to my family. I don't know much about what's going on with them. So none of this is going to apply to me. No, that's not true. Because as humans, we're also social creatures and we connect with each other. We build families wherever we go and whatever we do. And so some of these things might mostly relate to you and your friend group or, or some collection of people that you've been around that you're really close to. But, but everybody has a, a family, a tribe, a group of people that they've gathered around themselves. Now, I will also say this, even though I'm telling you, hey, families are broken, we all have our issues. Strong families and healthy relational bonds with, with other people can happen. All right, so I'm not saying that you're all doomed to have terrible families. <laughs> so just deal with it and let's just all, you know, move on. That's not what I'm saying. Um, especially when God is at work in healing people. All right, and so even though here we're going to see some dysfunctional family activity here with Abraham and his family, we can also learn from some of these things and we can grow in these paths. We can grow in these ways to not repeat some of these same problems. We can look at our own lives. We can ask God to transform us and we can see family structures becoming stronger and healthier the way that we want them to. That's how it works because God wants to heal our brokenness and help us work through our baggage and unite us in love. But we do start with fractures. We don't start with wholeness. All right? And as a church, we want to be people that push the shame of the brokenness in our relationships to the side so that we can actually deal with it. Because when I said that the issue with families a lot of times is people, it's, they're ashamed of what's happened in their family. They're ashamed the way these relationships don't work how they should work. They're embarrassed that, hey, my, my marriage is on the rocks or my relationship with my siblings doesn't work or these people that I thought I was close to, it's, we've had this blow up and it's a mess. And so a lot of times we, when we come to church, we're like, well, I don't want to talk about that part of my life. Like, I'll just keep that off to the side because it's, it's a wreck and I don't want to deal with it. But that's not who we are as a church. As people of God, as the family of God, part of what we're doing is we're learning to be a family even among us. And we're building deeper relationships with each other. And in that, we're also taking what we're learning from here, applying it to our wider family, 
But the other thing is true too. Sometimes we bring that stuff from our family in and we're healed from it as well in the church. And so we want to work through these things. That's part of what binds us together and unites us as the people of God. Now, I'm calling the message this morning Family Feuds, okay? And that's after a TV show that's been running since uh, 1976. And by the way, I didn't know this, it's still on, guys. So for some of you, you're like, you've never heard of this. Well, that's all right. It's this old TV show that's been running forever. Um, and, and what it does on this show is it takes people from the same family or family group, usually, and they ask them a, a series of, of, of questions, but they get, even with the same questions, they get all these different answers, okay? So they ask you a question, you know, what is the most popular dog in the neighborhood, you know? And then they'll interview these people and they get all these different these different answers because what they're trying to do is they're trying to figure out how other people would answer and here's the reason I thought of this is it highlights the fact that what makes perfect sense to one person is total nonsense to somebody else and we see this in the way people function especially in close family relationships all the time Somebody in your family might say and do something that makes perfect sense to them. And when they do it, the only word that you have for them on that particular issue is, that's nonsense. Right? Have you ever experienced that before? Not just me. Okay. So that's the way it works in in human relationships. And that's what we're going to see happen here in, in some of the, the situation that in, in Abraham's family. So today we're following Abraham and Sarah into the next chapter of their lives. To catch you up to speed if you haven't been here with us, the promise of a son, a, a son to a couple of old people. And when I say old, I'm not trying to offend anybody, all right? Sarah is 89. Abraham is 99. I'd say that counts as old, right? A couple of old people are about to have a child their first child, all right? And that promise has been made to them, and now they've been looking for a place to kind of settle down by heading toward the southern border of Canaan, all right? So in your Bibles, that's a long intro, I know, but it's a short message today, so you can handle it. Here we go, Genesis chapter 20. Are you ready? We're gonna actually read this whole chapter. It's only 18 verses, um, but we're gonna read it right here. Genesis chapter 20, verse one. It says, from there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev. That's just the wilderness region in the southern part of Canaan, all right? And he lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar, all right? So these are just some regions in the area. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah, as in he was taking her to be his wife. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken, for she's a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she's my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I've done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. 
Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. I know, it's complicated. We talked about this a long time ago, how this all worked, all right? Um, And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He's my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, if you've been following with us through the book of Genesis, this should sound familiar to you. Because this is not the first time that Abraham and Sarah pulled this whole little switcheroo thing of the brother-sister act, right? We actually saw this already back in chapter 12 when Abraham and Sarah, had to, they were fleeing from a famine and a drought and went into Egypt to try to find good farmland for, to survive. And Sarah was beautiful. Pharaoh found her. They, they brought her to Pharaoh. And Abraham's like, oh yeah, she's my sister. And he's like, great. I'm glad she's your beautiful sister. I'm gonna take her into my harem and she's gonna be one of my wives. Right? And then this whole thing spiraled out and, and uh, this, this very thing has happened once before. All right? Now, the thing in Egypt turned out well for them, but it was pretty tense for a minute, if you remember. There was several moments there where Abraham knew, all right, we really blew it here. This lie to the king of the land was not the greatest move on my part. I'm probably going to die for this. As it turned out, Pharaoh let them go and made them rich on the way out. So, as you can see, this is very similar to what has happened here with King Abimelech. This time, though, there's a little bit of a twist from what we saw last week. Sarah is likely pregnant right now. So now, not only are you turning over your wife to some other person, now you're turning over your pregnant wife to somebody else. You would have hoped that after the whole incident in Egypt... They would have have made a vow, let's never do that again. (laughs) That was not a good idea. But they didn't. In fact, they just kept moving forward and said, let's keep on doing what we do. And and when you think about this, who would have thought that they actually needed to? Sarah is an 89-year-old woman. All right? 
yes, people might have aged differently in those times. Some different aging factors in their food and environment. But come on. She's an 89-year-old woman. Abimelech, however, sees her beauty and took her to be his wife. I think Sarah should inspire like a, a, what's the word, Um, you know, all the different lotions and potions is what I usually call them. All the serums that come through my house, all the makeups and all these things. It's like Sarah's serum or something. Like, I'll, I'll take royalties on that one whenever you make it happen, all right? But Abimelech sees her, he takes her to be his wife. Now here's the thing about people. And this is one of the things that I want us to pull out of this little story that we see here. People are creatures of habit. Do you know that? Do you know that you're a person of habit? Families often repeat patterns that they have learned. Okay? This is very evident, not just with individuals, but you also see it in families. You see it in the way that families handle things. If you grew up in a family that the, the way that they dealt with conflict was by screaming and yelling... If that's the family you grew up in, you likely did or do the very same thing. On the flip side of that, if you grew up in a family that the way that they dealt with conflict was was by by silence and avoidance, like, oh, we're in a fight, so we're not going to speak, then that's how you function, most likely. You probably handle it that way. If you were taught at a young age to set aside money whenever you would uh, earn money uh, for some reason, you'd set aside some for saving and you'd set aside some for giving. If that's how you were raised, then those two things aren't hard for you. But if that was completely foreign in your family, it's like, yeah, whatever you get, go for it. It's yours. Blow it. Spend it. That's what you do. Because that is the pattern that was set up for you in your life. We repeat the patterns that are ingrained in us through our families. And as Christians, we know that every part of who we are, even our patterns, even our habits, every part of who we are needs to be reworked by the Spirit of God. That's part of what God is doing. He's not just healing one little part of you. He's not just saying, I'm going to make sure that I can get you to heaven. That's all I want out of you. And so as long as I can, you know, make you pray the prayer... Now you'll go to heaven and it's fine. I just hope you make it to the end of your life. It's not what God does. Not at all. Jesus said, I came to give them life that's abundant. Abundant life. And so what God is doing in our lives is he's wanting to rework and heal and fix and straighten out all of the parts of our life. And that includes our families. That includes our patterns. That includes the ways that we've always known to do the things that we do. And some of our patterns and our habits are good, right? And some of those are just fine. And God comes across that in your life and he's like, great, keep it up. But not all are. Some need to be reworked and we have to be willing to change. But Abraham and Sarah, they used lies and deception to navigate their lives. That was the way they did things. This was already, I mean, it tells us there in, in verse 13, right? This is the way that we did it. As soon as they started to wander, they're like, this is our pattern. From here on out, if anybody ever asks you who you are, just lie. Tell them you're my sister. We can't risk this. And so that was the way that they had established the way they were going to function. But now, even after they've been following God, notice they're stuck in the same rut. 
you might think they're like, okay, great. God's done impossible things for us. He's promised these things. He's going to take care of us. He's going to lead us. We don't have to be afraid anymore. We're going to show up here in this new kingdom and we're going to tell them the truth. And we're no longer going to rely on the lies and the deception. Ah, but we're people of habit. And so for them, they hadn't even thought about it. They're just like, oh no, that's a king. He's coming after you. What's going on? Oh yeah, this is what we do. Fall back to our pattern. We lie. Let's just lie. And hopefully it'll work out. God, as we see here too, once again, he bailed them out. But that's not an excuse for us to hold on to our broken methods. Patterns and habits are hard to break. And I am not qualified to try to give you guys now the three key ways to fix all of your bad habits and break all the patterns that are ingrained with you in you since the time you were born from your family, right? I can't do that today. But um, what I will do is I'll give you three little, three little things that are, 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 are helpful and useful in breaking patterns and habits. Three things um, that we'll look at before we go on to the next section, um, it usually, in order to break a habit and to change a pattern, it usually takes hard work, humility, and help. All right? Started them with H's, like all pastors do, so that it's easy to remember, right? Hard work. The first thing about it is it takes effort if you want to actually change how you function and how you live, it takes willpower. It, a lot of times it takes learning the why behind the action. Why do I do what I do? Why is it when I'm driving on the freeway and I see someone in the far left lane going 55 miles an hour, why do I get angry? I have told myself and been told by people who love me many times, don't get mad about that person. They're just doing their thing. Let them do what they're... No, they're not supposed to do that. They're supposed to be over here. Move to the right. Move to the right. <laughs> right? This is how I was trained. Well, maybe they weren't trained. Okay, but I'm still... I, I shouldn't be upset, but I am. Okay? Why? Well, because really it comes down to I'm impatient. And I want to move. And I want to keep moving. And I want traffic to keep going. I don't like to stop in traffic. Okay? That's an issue that I have to deal with. I need to dig into the why behind the action. And I need to learn a new way. They just say, who knows? They're just, they're at peace. They're in prayer right now. They're relaxed. That's who I need to be. And that's what needs to happen, right? So it takes hard work. It also takes humility. Why does it take humility? Because it's hard for us to willingly, humbly give up our broken patterns. Because what you're recognizing when you see a bad pattern in your life is, that's wrong and that's on me. And that's not good. And we don't like to be wrong. We like our ways to be the ways. And when we finally see it and recognize it, we have to be humble enough to say, okay, I need to change here. I need to, in many cases, I need to apologize to other people when I continue to do my bad pattern. I need to also maybe need to forgive other people. I could go back and, and find someone else, maybe in my family, who also gets mad in, about traffic in the left that I passed, learned this from, you know? And maybe I need to forgive them for, for those things. Hard work, humility, and third, a lot of times we need help. These patterns that are deep in us, they're hard to get rid of. And sometimes we do need help. Maybe it's about reading books or maybe it's meeting with a counselor, maybe in professional counseling or friends or support and especially the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit, Jesus said in John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. Many times, these patterns and habits that are infiltrated in our families, they're blind spots for our families. You may not even see these things without the Holy Spirit illuminating them in your life. In fact, you might go for decades in your life of walking with the Lord and not even recognize that this is an issue. This is Abraham and Sarah here. They've done this before. I guess they just didn't deal with it with God. And so many, many years later, it happens again. They do it again. They're like, oh, should we be doing this? This keeps causing a problem. Sometimes that's what it takes. Remember this also about that, and we'll move on. Patterns and habits are hard to break, but nothing is impossible with God. Allow him to work in your life. All right? Now, let's move on. We're going to look at at chapter 21 here. And here's what it says. It says in verse 1 of chapter 21, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham, a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This radical promise that God had made and, and we saw this in a few chapters before. This radical promise came true. Isaac is born to a 100-year-old father and a 90-year-old mother. And, and we also see here that they obeyed God in naming him Isaac. God had already told them, oh yeah, you're laughing about the idea of a couple old people having a baby? Well, let's name that kid laughter. <laughs> That's what Isaac means, Laughter. And he said, so you're going you're gonna to have this baby and you're going to name this baby Laughter. Sure enough, that's exactly what they do. They obey God, they name him Isaac, and then they circumcise him, the sign of the covenant, at eight days old. And even though she had a, a year, the better part of a year, to process all of this, notice that Sarah was still just stunned by Isaac's birth. Even though she had heard it from God's mouth himself, we looked at that last week, where God said, you know, she's in the tent, and, and God comes and visits and says, where is Sarah? Oh, she's in the tent. All right, well, let me say this loud. <laughs> Sarah, you're going to have a baby, believe it or not. And Sarah's back in the tent, it tells us, and she's laughing about it. She's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this, this can't be true. I know Abraham had said that, but I thought he was losing it. And, and no, it's true. So even though she had a year to process this, she's still stunned. She's basically saying, who would have thought this would happen? And when she says that she expects people to laugh, it's with joy. She knows that she's got family and friends that have gone with her through this struggle of her whole life of wanting children, wanting children, wanting children, couldn't have them, couldn't have them, couldn't. And now she's 90. It's like my aunts, cousins, uncles, sisters, they are going to crack up when they actually hear this happens. This This is crazy. And that is what she was expecting. But in verse 8, we see this. And the child grew and was weaned. Now that time period, uh, traditionally in this culture, was about three years old, all right? So about three years old go by there. 
And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, you should remember that name, whom she had borne to Abraham laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased, be not displeased because of the, of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Hagar had been made a wife of Abraham roughly 16 years earlier by Sarah's request. Sarah was the one before when she had heard that promise way back when. Okay, you'll have a son. Abraham's going to have a son. And this is how the, the whole covenant is going to work out. And so Sarah was like, well, it's already past my time. So it's not going to come through me. So let's work this out. Here, I've got this servant. You take her as a concubine and we'll get her pregnant through you. And then that will be the line. Well, that all happened. But in that, that issue, um, there, there was a big tension now introduced into the family. And things were not going well. And that whole incident put the two women at odds and it was never sorted out. It really couldn't be. Marriage is intended for one woman and one man to be united together. Any other arrangement is going to cause some suffering. And again, God's chosen family has major dysfunction going on here. So Sarah expected laughter but when Isaac began to laugh, that was a little different. I'm sorry, when Ishmael began to laugh. Ishmael, the older son, the son of Hagar. When Ishmael begins to laugh at Isaac, now she's like, oh, this isn't going to happen. Here's this 16-year-old punk teenager who's now laughing at my little boy. And what's going to happen here when it comes time to you know, set things in in, in sequence with the, the inheritance and all of this. These guys, this isn't going to work. So Sarah comes to Abraham and says, you got to send them out. Get rid of them. They're not going to be in the same house. And unfortunately, all those, those old emotional wounds were opened back up. Now here's the thing. When dealing with deep relational problems between people, I hate to tell you this, but it's important that I tell you this, ignoring those problems hardly ever works. It hardly ever works. It might allow tempers to cool and memories to fade, but if they aren't actually dealt with, they always just simmer below the surface. And, and with the right conditions, they can blow up all over again. And let's just take healing from divorce as, a, as an example. We've all been affected by divorce, whether or not we personally have been divorced. We've all dealt with these things. And we know that a lot of times, a lot of people are carrying around a ton of bitterness and pain in their hearts from this past relationship, whatever it was. 
And, and a lot of times, if it's not dealt with, it just sits there, it sits there. And you may not even have seen that person for 20 years. But then you happen to show up at some sort of a family, you know, reunion or gathering or this friend who knew this friend who knew that friend and the worlds collide again and then it's like whoa this is all here again it all comes back up we're wrestling through all this again we're struggling with this all again now admittedly especially in really deep divisions between people true reconciliation is rare for both people both parties who have deeply hurt each other to come to a place where like it's all right I forgive you, I'm working through this. And the other person's like, it's all right, I forgive you, I'm working through this. That's rare. It can happen. But with God at the center of our relationships, he can heal us even if the rest of that relationship and the other part of that relationship can't be fixed. All right? And sometimes people say, well, I just want to push this to the side because, well, they're not ever going to ask for forgiveness. They're not ever going to apologize for the things that they did. They're not ever going to, so I can't ever deal with that. Oh, yeah, you can. You can. Your part, you can be clean before God and right before him and healed and whole in your heart, no matter what that person does. That's part of the power of forgiveness that happens in a heart and in a life. That person that you're estranged from may not even be alive, but you can still make things right with with God. And God calls us to forgiveness. We don't have time this morning to go into a, a whole message on forgiveness, But um, a a couple of years back, I did a message specifically on forgiveness from Matthew 18. It's called uh, Freedom in Forgiveness. And you can go back, and if that's something that is in your heart and mind, you want to look at that, you can go back on the podcast. Um, You can actually just type in a a Google search, South Point SD, Freedom in Forgiveness, and this will come up. Um, Or you can go to the website or the podcast and search it up. Um, Matthew 18, Freedom in Forgiveness. And, and if, if that is an area that you know, maybe today you're like, oh, that's me. I'm the person that needs to hear that and work with that. Go for it. Listen to that podcast and let God free you from it. Because when people are enslaved by unforgiveness and bitterness, it destroys them. That's what the Bible tells us over and over. Bitterness will destroy you. And God wants you to experience the freedom and joy that comes in forgiveness. But sadly, forgiveness didn't happen in this family. Hagar and Ishmael were sent away. And and let's just call it for what it is. This was a tragedy and it wasn't right. Sarah was not in the right to do this. Abraham was not in the right to do this. God was not blessing it going along with what they were choosing to do. It was wrong. It was tragic. Abraham and Sarah were sinning against them, but it's what happened. And now let's look at verse 15. It says, And when the water in the skin was gone, so the, you know, she took a, a jug of water with her for them to survive on, and now the water is gone. They still haven't found where they need to be. It says, She put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. 
Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. God had promised Hagar that her son would survive the first time that Sarah had run her out of the house. 16 years earlier, while she was pregnant, before Ishmael was even born. Now that had been a long time ago, but God hadn't changed his mind. And so he rescues them again. Now this time, Ishmael and Hagar would leave Abraham and the family for good. Last time, God said, you know what? It's, I know it's not good back home, but that's what's best for you and the boy. So go back home. This time, that's not the case. This time, they're going to leave Abraham and the family for good. She would ultimately raise Ishmael as a single mom. But God was with them, and they were blessed. Sometimes relationships can't be salvaged on this side of heaven. Irreparable damage can take place. I do think we need to try our best to make them work, but I also recognize that sometimes they just won't. And that's just kind of the, the hard, hard, hard fact of life. That's, that's the way it is. But even in that pain and in that suffering of broken relationships, we're called to bring our suffering to the Lord, to Jesus. He cares for you. God will grieve with you and help you heal. Don't bury it. Get things right in your heart and leave the rest of it to him. Romans 12, 16 to 18 says this. It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in sight of all. Listen to this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Our part is try to, to try to be at peace with everyone. To try to fix every relationship that we can fix. They can't all be fixed, but our part is to live peaceably with all. We would do well to obey that scripture. And I think that we bring honor to God if we live and lead by that example for those who don't know him. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall become called sons of God. Now, let's read the last section here, uh, verse 22. And it says this, um, oh, I'm, yeah, verse 22. It says, at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who's done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And he said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, 
because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So Abraham's family had had grown very large and powerful. And King Abimelech was obviously not a a blood relative, but he was a next-door neighbor that was concerned that Abraham was a threat. And instead of trying to defeat Abraham or run him out of the land, he wisely decided, I should make a treaty with this guy. This is the same king that we saw earlier in the story that had the vision from God because he had taken Sarah as a wife. Same guy. So he's like, I don't want to mess with this prophet of God stuff. (laughs) Um, Let's try to just get along as best we can. Let's, you know, deal with our differences and and make this work. Uh, He didn't want to risk that issues that could come up. And so Abraham puts roots down, literally, with a tamarisk tree. (laughs) Now, uh, for the the Bible um, scholars among you, (laughs) I guess, um, Abimelech, I do want you to notice this because later we're going to see a similar thing happen in chapter 26, all right? And we're going to see Abimelech show up again, but this time not talking with Abraham, talking with his son, all right? Abimelech, that, that word or name, it might not be a proper name. It could actually be a title or a throne name, Abimelech, all right? So um, like for instance, it doesn't matter who the president is, we usually will call that person Mr. President. Someday we may call them Mrs. President too, but it's just, they're the president, right? No matter who is in the office, they get a title of president. Abimelech might be that for this particular culture. It might just be like a name for king or the ruler of their people or villages or tribes, all right? Um, And the reason I bring that up is because this is one of the spots where people sometimes that are questioning the accuracy um, or the historicity of the Bible will say things like, well, how can this Abimelech guy still be alive here and then much later? Uh, well, th- this isn't that hard of a Bible issue. Um, either Abimelech was a very young king when he was dealing with Abraham, when he met Abraham, and an old king when he met Isaac, or they might have been two different kings altogether um, that had the same title. Um, also in this section, this is also where people say, they're the very last verse where it says Abraham sojourned in the days of the land of the Philistines. Critics of the Bible will say, well, there weren't any Philistines yet. And they're right. Um, Archaeology says that Philistines didn't arrive until around the mid-13th century BC. All right? This is, this is way before that. Um, but where they landed was in this region, and where they lived was in this region. And remember, Abraham wasn't the one writing the story. It's Moses writing the story after the Philistines are living in this land, and he's talking about this land for the people that are now reading it. So, I mean, if you lived here in this part of Chula Vista 30 years ago, right now we'd be standing in farmland. (laughs) And you could call it, you know, now we'd say, oh, yeah, we're in the East Lake area over here. Well, you write that back then, or like East Lake, I mean, you mean the little lake that's over there since 82 or whatever it was? Yeah. No, I mean way out here, right? Hopefully that makes sense to you. Um, but here's what we see about all this. Abraham and Abimelech never really became best friends. But they could still reach an agreement 
to live alongside of each other. Now, that's not just the goal of relationships, just to tolerate people, but sometimes we have to settle for that. God calls us to love our neighbor, and that's what we're going to strive for. So how do we wrap all this up now? How do we respond to this today? Well, apart from the details of the narrative, I think that there's several things for us to process this week as we think about the family of Abraham and then also assess our own relationships with people. All right? One of the ways that God uses his people, and that's you people, those of you who call yourself a Christian here today, God wants to use you in the world and among all of the people. And one of the ways that God does that is by blessing his people so that they can be a blessing to others. He will comfort us so that we can be of comfort to others. He will heal us so that we can become those who heal. He gives us hope that we can give hope to others. Do you see the process here? He's loved us that we would love others. And that's who Christians are supposed to be in the world. This is who we are supposed to be. We want to be people of light and love that bring light and love to the world. And let's think about this for a second. That's not the way a lot of people in the world view Christians. That's not the first thing that comes to their minds when they think about a Christian. Often it's not, oh yeah, they're the people that like to be peacemakers. They're the people that like to comfort and encourage. No, they got a whole lot of other perspectives, but a lot of times those aren't the things that first come to their minds, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. And that starts with our relationship to God through Jesus. And then it's supposed to overflow into our families, into our friends, and then continue to flow into the world around us. None of us have everything figured out. And no one has fixed all their brokenness. Human relationships are complicated, but all of us can grow. So, think about these things this week. Ask God what he might want to do in your family. Relationships, how can they be fixed? Both in you and through you. And let's just ask God to move in power. Wouldn't it be great if some of those broken places in our own families could be healed? Wouldn't it be an encouragement to just know, wow, God did this in that area that I thought was hopeless? We all have brokenness, but let's pray today for our families and our friends as we respond. Pray with me. God, I do thank you. Lord, I thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, I know that I, I probably have, have struck some chords with people that could be painful, that could be um, areas of sadness or confusion when we're talking about family. But Lord, I also know that you are the God of hope. You're the God of healing. You're the God that can restore and redeem things. Even things that seem impossible and seem hopeless for us. And so God, today, 
we just ask that you would make our hearts tender enough to change. And Lord, we just bring ourselves before you this morning and just ask if there are places in us that are hard because of bitterness or unforgiveness, if there are tendencies or habits that are so ingrained in us that we can't let them go, things that are getting in the way of our relationships with other people, Lord, we pray that you would transform us today. Lord, we bring those broken relationships to you and ask for your assistance. We ask for your help. We ask for the helper, the Holy Spirit to come and, and, and move. And so Lord, today I pray for the, the families in this church. And when I say family, I mean whether it's immediate families or extended families or expanded families. I pray for these families, Lord, that, that your grace and your mercy and your wholeness and your healing would fall on these families. Lord, I pray this morning if there's anybody who's struggling in their marriage here today, I just ask God that your spirit would heal that marriage. I pray that you would heal both parties in it, that you'd bring humility and help for the, that marriage. I pray that if there are, are, are people here today that are estranged from maybe their kids or grandkids, God, that you would bring a healing, that you'd open opportunities and open doors to allow those relationships to be healed and reconnected. Lord, maybe there's, there's farther things or extended things. Maybe there's, there is, maybe there's some, some uh, residual things left from a, a divorce or a, a, a separated relationship that's happened even maybe even years ago. Lord, I pray that you bring healing. In that, in that place. You want us to be people that are full and whole and we are broken, but, but you can heal and you do heal. And so Lord, I just ask that you would allow us to open ourselves to you this morning, that you would do a powerful work among us in our church. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.